All right, it is great to see each and every one of you here today. Uh, this year, our theme, Advent, is Hope Lives. And each week during Advent, marching toward Christmas, we're going to be lighting an Advent candle that reflects this message that hope lives. Hope lives because Jesus Christ lives. He is the one who came into our broken world to put the pieces of our lives back together again. So this morning, Elissa and Micah, Micaiah, are going to come and light our first Advent candle. So I'll invite them to come right now. Let's welcome our two young people as they come here. On this first day of Advent, we celebrate the hope found in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was born into our world to redeem us of our sins, our wounds, and our hopelessness. For this reason, we worship Jesus as our Savior. We now light this first Advent candle to celebrate the hope found through faith in Jesus Christ. Hey, thank you guys for doing that. Great job. Is there any one of you that have ever got one of those things to work the very first time you tried it? Not me. Good job. Good job. Well, uh, today we do begin Advent Conspiracy. As you saw on the video a moment ago, the word Advent is Latin. It means arrival. It refers, obviously, to the birth of Jesus Christ into our world. Now, Advent Conspiracy, just to fill this in a little bit more, is a strategy by which we want to resist the excessive materialism of the Christmas season in order to stay focused on Christ at the center of Christmas so that, along with all the giving of our gifts to our friends and our families, we're also intentionally spending less so that we can give more. And by doing that together, make a significant difference in some people's lives. And I'm, I've got a real bad ring going up here. If someone can help me out, I'm, it's a bad echo up here. I'd appreciate some help on that. Thanks. Uh, now, if you'll look at the Advent Conspiracy card on your seat, there should be one on your seat. And if you look on the right column, first of all, uh, our global focus for, Royal, for uh, Advent Conspiracy this year is a ministry called Royal Family Kids which reaches out to foster children here in our own area as well as across the country and even some places internationally. What they do is they, one of the things they do is they set up camps for foster kids to attend and come into a safe place, uh, come in where they're going to find some great adult uh, counselors and caregivers, and they're also going to have some fun that's in a safe place life-healing kind of place, and where they will become introduced to the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, our goal as a church this year is to help start three new camps. It takes $4,000 to start one camp. We have broken this down on the card into four ways we could give toward that. Uh, so, what we're asking is, during Advent Conspiracy, that you personally, or you with your family, that you will get together 
and pray and make a plan. Set a personal or a family goal about, well, what could we do to, to help start one of these uh, royal family camps? Uh, and so each week, in addition to regular giving, we're giving sacrificially during this Christmas season uh, to make a huge difference. Now, in a moment, we're going to have a couple guests who are going to come and fill us in a lot more on this ministry of royal family camps. Now, if you'll take a quick look on the left side of that card, we also want to make a difference close to home. So we have a shopping list of items that are going to be given to a number of families in our own community through Hope and Friendship Ministry. These are items that we very often take for granted, uh, but there are a lot of people for whom these, even these kinds of basic things are just a struggle to afford. And so we have, through Hope and Friendship Ministry, identified some families in the community where they're just facing some tough times, and we can make a difference by helping. We can go shopping as a church family, and, and then once we do that and you bring those things in, we want to stack them all up here under the Christmas tree so we can, together can see the kind of impact we can have right here close to home in our own community. And then there's a third thing we're going to do close to home. And that is we have families within our own church family that during the past year have maybe encountered job loss or illnesses or whatever has created some really financial hardship for them. And so we want to also give in, in a benevolent kind of way. So what we're saying this year is uh, on, when it comes time for the offering, on your envelope or if you give online, you can designate where you want your giving to go. Uh, if it's for Royal Family Kids, it's Advent Conspiracy. Just put Advent Conspiracy on your check or on, your, on the website. If it's benevolence, you want that to go to a family in the church that's dealing with something, just designate, put the word benevolence on that, and we'll make sure it goes that direction. And together, we can just have a great impact here. So, uh, we are honored this morning to have our guest with us, uh, Reverend John Schweider, whom I've known for many, many years. He is the field representative across this country for Royal Family Kids Ministry. And with him is Kimmy, whom he's going to introduce a little bit later, uh, who's going to come and share her story with us this morning. It is my great joy to travel around the country starting that ball of redemption rolling. Uh, my name is John Schweider. I'm a full-time missionary with Royal Family Kids. Um, as we go through the day, you'll understand a little more of what we do, and as, as part of that, I'm going to ask Kimmy if she would come up and join me on the platform. The mission that God has called us to is to partner with Jesus to introduce children of abuse to healthy relationships. Now, we do this a couple of ways. We introduce the concept to churches in order for people to understand what it's like to, uh, to uh, get involved with foster kids. So a church can get involved with foster kids by starting their own camp. Uh, start a camp, it's a whole week-long process. Sometimes that will go into a mentoring club. Another thing we do in Illinois is we recruit foster parents, and we, allow foster, or we help foster parents to get their way to training so that they can take a child into their home, and those children can be introduced to people like you. Now, Kimmy, have, Kimmy and I have come to introduce you to a mission field that is right here in your backyard. Foster, foster children are everywhere. You walk past them every day at the grocery stores. You see them 
at your houses or at the school bus stops. Um, today we're going to open up their world to you. Is your mic on? Because I want them to hear everything you have to say, Kimmy. Okay. Oh, it's on. All right. My bad. So we're going to accomplish our mission today to introduce this concept to you in two ways. Uh, we're going to braid two stories together. Uh, we're going to braid the story of the story of Ruth from the Bible, and uh, and the story of Kimmy. Uh, Kimmy is a foster kid, and two things are common throughout the narratives of the Old and New Testament. God has to constantly remind His people who they are. God has much different standards, and He is unimpeded by by the darkness of this world and the. Uh, and the way our world, the world contaminates relationships. So by inviting you into our world, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to apply what we say to your life. Because like Ruth, because like Kimmy, your identity is not bound by any difficulty that you may have experienced. A little bit about Royal Family Kids. The video that you saw is from one camp of 200 that went on this summer. 200 camps in 36 states and four countries overseas touched the lives of 8,000 foster children just last summer. The way that works is a local church will send three to five people to a week-long training camp. When they come back from that training camp, they will begin the process of connecting with the Department of Children and Family Services, begin to recruit people within their church, and begin to train them how to do a week-long summer camp. It's a two-year process. It begins with people taking a week's vacation and investing that into the lives of a foster kid. And from there, the possibilities are endless. Some churches form mentoring clubs as a result of that. Some volunteers go on to be foster parents, go on to be respite care workers. And then some of the volunteers come back to camp. Uh, I'm sorry, some of the children who are kids at camp come back to camp. And that's Kimmy's story because Kimmy was one of our campers at our Royal Family Kids Camp through the Stone Church. And when she came back at 16, uh, we found out some of the things that happened that we were unaware of. Kimmy, maybe you could tell us some of that. Sure. Um, the number one thing that I'm able to notice when I came back as a counselor is the behavioral problems and um, differences that we see in all the children. Um, some of the children are bad. Some kids get off the bus and spit in our faces, and they don't want to be there, and they just act it out in their behavior. Um, when I came to camp as a camper, I was a good little camper. I really was the camper that all the counselors wanted. <laughs> she was. I was quiet and timid, and I did everything I was told. I didn't ask questions. I didn't, I didn't want to do everything else that none of the other kids wanted to do. I was really compliant. Kimmy was different in that because when, the, when parents drop their kids off at church and the kids get on the bus, a lot of those foster kids are very anxious if they're ever going to see their parents again because they don't know what's going on. Uh, foster kids generally move from placement to placement, and at the time of placement, it's a surprise. So when a foster parent comes into a church building, drops the kid off and say, has a good time, and walks out the door, that raises the anxiety level of the kids. And most of the kids have been hurt so much, they don't want to be hurt again. And so they kind of protect themselves from the adults at camp. And that's what Kimmy was talking about. When someone get off the bus, they have that, 
that, uh, that you're not going to hurt me again because if you love me, you're going to hurt me and I'm not going to let that happen. Kimmy was identified by those tragic circumstances. She was a foster kid that came to camp. Now, there's a remarkable story in the Bible about people that were identified by tragedy. But it was the identity that they were known as on earth. And although God did not author those tragic circumstances, His love and redemption led them to their true identity. I think an identity by which they were known in the heavenly realm. So we're going to take a walk through the book of Ruth this morning, and we're going to take a look at the impact the tragic circumstances had upon the main characters. You comfortable reading that, Kimmy? Okay. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malone and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab, the land of Moab, and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other one was Ruth. And they lived there for about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the women were bare of her two children and her husband. Now the names in this story are really significant, and we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But we're going to take a look at the, at the context of this book of Ruth. Because it, was, it happened at the time of the judges. And the time of the judges was characterized in Israel's history as a time of departure from Yahweh, a departure from Torah, an abandonment of their national identity. At this time in history, every nation had its own God, its own national God. And so when someone moved from a different nation, it was more than just a geographic move. The shame was attached to Ruth and Elimelech and their children in moving to Moab because Moab was an accursed name with an accursed national god by the name of Chamosh. The technical term for this is henotheism, where every nation believes in the god of the other nation. Chamosh, when someone wanted to offer supreme sacrifice to Chamosh, they would, they would burn their child alive in the fire if you can imagine such a thing. What a relief it must have been for, uh, to Naomi to discover that when she moved back to Bethlehem, she moved into a culture of people that embraced the love of Yahweh, that, that embraced the protection that Torah offered the people. It was not the case in all of Israel. And if you want to know how bad things were, just, just read the last few chapters of the book of Judges. You want, you want some light reading this afternoon? Take a look at the last few chapters of Judges. You're going to see a story in the Bible that you didn't know was there. If you grew up in a Christian home, in Christian school, this story is not in the Becca curriculum. The, the, this, concu- this, this, uh, this Levite was traveling with his concubine, which is already a problem. And when he came to a town, some terrible things happened. The, the concubine ended up dying a tragic death. And so the Levite dismembers her body and sends the body parts to the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, (laughs) when you try to imagine that, it's just so hard to imagine things like that could actually happen. But that was the nature of the nation that had turned its back on God, and people began to do whatever they wanted. 
Just as Ruth and Naomi discovered this true community of Yahweh, so did Kimmy. Now, most foster homes are great places. Pastor Jim and I were just talking about this morning. 80% of the foster homes in Illinois are great places for children. But that wasn't the case in Kimmy's case. Uh, She came from a very difficult foster home. One day, uh, my first year at camp, John and I were sitting at lunch, and um, I decided that I was going to go and sit next to him because he was a person that I felt comfortable around. Um, As soon as I sat down and put my plate down, he started questioning me, so he totally put me outside of my comfort zone that day. Um, I sat down, and he asked me, so, Kimmy, are any memories arising in your brain and in your memories from camp? And I said, yes. And that was it. I wanted to be done with the conversation. And he started to pry. And he said, no, Kimmy, come on. Tell me what's in there. What's going on? I want to hear about these memories. And I couldn't take it. I immediately started crying. And I got up and I walked away. And one of the female staff came over and helped me and um, talked me out of it. And later that night, I wrote John a letter. And I had told him that I I couldn't sit there anymore because I realized that my only positive memories as a kid were those was that week at camp. Um, I came from a really difficult foster home. I was removed from my original birth parents when I was about six years old. Um, My brother had gotten into a mop bucket and he drowned. Um, We were left under the care of someone who wasn't allowed to be around children, so we were immediately taken from from my parents' home and moved in with my aunt and uncle in Plainfield. And they were the cool aunt and uncle. They had a pool and a swing set and a trampoline and everything a kid could possibly dream of. Um, Unfortunately, my uncle was an alcoholic, and he took out his differences and his anger on us. Um, So eventually, I moved out of that foster home and moved into a different foster home and was reconnected with camp. And when I came back to camp, just all of the memories that I was introduced with as a child of being able to make a difference and being someone that God truly did love just came back to me. And if you can imagine that, if you could put yourself in Kimmy's place, being in a, a foster home where you're, you're called worthless and, and useless, and, and when her uncle got intoxicated, the, the abuse that he would take out on her, and then contrast that with coming to camp where she's where she's honored and she's valued and she's, she's treated like, like, like a queen, like a child of royalty. That's, that's why we call ourselves Royal Family Kids Camp. We treat children like royal, royalty. That had to be what Ruth was going through. When she came in from this very difficult land of Moab into this land of Bethlehem, you see, when Elimelech's widow Naomi planned to return to Judah, before she did that, she turned to her two Moabite daughters and said, now you guys can go back to your families now, which Orpah did. But listen to Ruth's response to Naomi. She said, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. And Ruth was introduced to a pocket of people who lived by Torah. Now, I want to take a look at the names because I think they're very significant. You see, at Royal Family Kids Camp, we call all the children by name. We learn what their names mean because the only thing a foster kid can take from home to home is their name and sometimes a garbage bag full of stuff. So names are significant. Now, the names in this 
In, in this story, Elimelech means my God is king. What a, what a great name to name your child, my, my God is king. And Naomi means the fair one. What a great name to give a little Hebrew baby girl. Now, the names Malon, Chilion, and Orpah are what those people had become known by. You see, Malon means sickness. Chilion means pining away. Orpah means one who turns away. They became identified with their tragedy. Ruth, on the other hand, became known as the beloved. Ruth is a Hebrew name. It's very unlikely that a Moabite would have given Ruth a, or given their child a Hebrew name, but she became known as the beloved. And then when Naomi returned to Bethlehem, she didn't want to be known as Naomi. Don't call me the fair one. Call me Mara. Call me the bitter one. But the community would not have it because they were going to restore this family. They moved into the true community of Yahweh where people did not do what was right in their own eyes. They just did what was right. She remained Naomi, the fair one. Now, Kimmy, I want you to tell us some of the things at camp from your perspective of, of things that you experienced while you were there. Sure. Um, I think that the number one thing that sticks out to me the most at camp was my counselor, Becky. Um, for, two, for two of the three years that I was at camp, she was my counselor. And um, at the time, I had no idea about her background completely, but... I knew that she was a camper at camp as well when she was younger and she came back to be a counselor. And that inspired so much hope in me and so many dreams. And I was like, I told myself the very day that I graduated, I'm, I'm going to come back too. I'm going to be like Becky was. Um, later on, I came back to camp as a, as a support staff and I found out that Becky had the very caseworker <laughs> that sent me to camp, that sent her to camp. So just the just the ties that were tied together through my years at camp was so amazing, and I just can't imagine it being any other way if it weren't for God himself. Ruth became the wife of Boaz, who exercised his right of redemption, which was a process outlined in Torah, where an injustice is made right by the author of justice. And from that union, Naomi was cared for, and she remained the fair one. A Moabite was accepted into the community of Yahweh, and most of you probably know the story. From that union of, of Ruth and Boaz came the greatest king in Israel's history, David. And then on through the Messianic line to finally the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. That little abused, neglected foster child that we knew as Kimmy, she doesn't even exist anymore. And now we have... We have this Kimmy. <laughs> you know, this Kimmy is the much improved version of the little kid at camp. Kimmy is being powerfully used by God as she travels with us starting summer camps and recruiting foster parents. Now, just so you don't get the wrong idea, Kimmy and I don't travel together around the country. Okay, my wife Marlene usually goes with us. Uh, but my wife, uh, my daughter's having a baby shower today, so my wife is with her today. So Eric has agreed to come along with us today and bring Kimmy. Just wanted to make that, that clear. We were introducing the concept of Royal Family Kids Camp to a church in Wisconsin. As we began to share with people, Kimmy began to share a story. Now, we did four services that day in that church, and as we got down to the last service of the last day, Kimmy began to share a story that 
that moved that church in a very profound way. Can you share a little bit of that with us, Kimmy? Sure. Um, I was sitting at work one day, and everyone deals with something in their hearts. And um, we were actually at a church last Sunday, and he described it as this filing cabinet. You kind of push it away sometimes, and then you don't really think about it at all. But sometimes it just comes and whacks into you, and you're like, oh, gosh, I have to deal with this. I have to completely eliminate this rather than just kicking it away again. Um, For me, it was bitterness and resentment and just hatred towards my uncle of abuse. Um, I just can't understand how someone could possibly treat someone that day or that way. Um, one time I was sitting at work at a, an Italian restaurant at lunchtime because nobody wants Italian for lunch. And um, I was just thinking, why, why did he do this to me? And I started dissecting it piece by piece and little by little, and I realized that his amount of trauma that he's experienced really did turn him into the person that he was. It really created his identity. When he was young, he lost a majority of his brothers and sisters. Born into a family of eight or nine kids, he lost four of them growing up, and then he lost his father later on in life, and then his mother was diagnosed with schizophrenia, so the way that his mom treated him was the very way that he was treating me. Had she realized that she was treating him that way? Absolutely not. Um, had he realized that he was treating me the way that his mom treated her or him? I'm not sure. So one day I wrote him a letter and I told him that I forgave him and that I loved him regardless. Um, I didn't expect to hear back an answer from him. I didn't really care if I did or not because I was, I was right with myself and I had rid myself of those bitter feelings. Um, He did write me back, and he told me that he didn't ask for my forgiveness. And it really was a kicker, because I tried so hard to forgive him. Um, Now, if I didn't know the Lord, I think that I would have responded back to him again and told him, forget it, forget you, and probably other other words that I probably shouldn't say up here. But um, I didn't. I just left it at that, and I realized that God is proud of that, and he... He was the origin of that, and I couldn't be more happy with my decision that day. When Kimmy shared that story in church, the pastor was sitting on the front row, about where you are, Jim, and he got up and walked out. And we continued our presentation. After about 10 minutes, the pastor came back in and sat down, and we turned the service back over to him. And he got up on the platform, and he had said this deadpan face, and he had the microphone in his hand, and he said, Kimmy... As I listened to you share how you forgave your uncle for all those years of abuse, I realized I'm harboring bitterness against people in this church. I had to go out in the hallway and I had to call people and ask them for their forgiveness. Now, just think about that. Think about the ripple effect of a little kid coming to camp, experiencing Jesus, and then returning to not just minister at that camp, but to go around and start other camps. I, I actually went to that camp just summer. It takes two years to start a Royal Family Kids Camp. And I, and I went to that summer camp, and here's 61 people investing their lives in all these children. As a result of Kimmy moving into her identity, they started a camp to introduce some children to their new identity. 32 little Kimmies coming to a camp in Milwaukee's suburb 
to, to, get in, to get introduced to people like you and through that getting introduced to Jesus. We also prevented, presented in downstate Illinois two years ago. Marlene and I went to visit that camp this year. Uh, 32 adults took a week's vacation to minister to 22 foster children. Think about that. Kimmy moves into her identity. She shares in Bethalto. People start a camp, and 22 children in southern Illinois begin to recognize who Jesus is. One life touches so many. Through Kimmy's transformation this summer, 93 adults ministered to 68 campers and showed them a different way to live. And that was just this summer. This ministry has been going on for three decades. In Illinois, we got 16,000 foster kids. <laughs> many of you probably didn't know that. 12,000 of them are right here in our county. Wisconsin, 7,000 foster kids. Six Royal Family Kids camps. We have 10 camps in Ohio, but there's 12,000 foster kids in Ohio. If we wanted to start a camp for every child in Ohio, it would take 75 more Royal Family Kids camps to touch the lives of all those children. Florida has the highest rate of child abuse in the continental United States. If you took all the foster kids in Florida and took them to a Miami Heat game and nobody else, just all those kids in the Miami Heat Stadium, 3,000 of them would still be outside because you couldn't get them all in. We have three Royal Family Kids camps in Florida. We would need another 100 camps to service every child in foster care. There's good news in that too. Uh, Nebraska right now is servicing 37% of the foster kids through Royal Family Kids Camp. And one of those stories, I have to tell them Lexi's story. Lexi was a kid that came to that camp. Lexi was in and out of foster care. She had been adopted, the adoption failed, and she was back in foster care. And then at that summer camp, we did a princess party. And Lexi got dressed up in a, in a beautiful dress, and they put pearls around her neck, and a guy brought his Mustang convertible out to camp, and Kimmy got, er, sorry, Kimmy, Lexi got to sit on the convertible boot and do the princess wave. And all, and all the people just applauded as she went by, and they, they would pick up another camper, and every one of the camper girls got to experience that. That became a significant moment in Lexi's life because she was adopted after camp to a family that abused her. And while the abuse was going on, she kept telling herself, I'm a princess. I'm a princess. God did not create me for this. Fast forward a few years later. I'm in South Dakota, and I see Lexi. She was at this summer camp for foster kids, and the judge got involved in her case. And the judge said, Lexi, have you had any good experience in foster care? And she said, yeah. I went to this camp once. And there was a lady there at the camp that was my foster parent from time to time. Her name was Kathy Jo. Kathy Jo McGee, actually. It's no relation, but it's just funny that they have the same last name. Kathy ended up adopting Lexi, and they started their very first camp in South Dakota. They ended up buying the campground. And so now we can do 10 weeks of Royal Family Kids Camp in South Dakota and service every child in foster care between the ages of 6 and 12 from Paris, South Dakota, all the way to the Minnesota border. As a result of one little girl having an experience at camp, think about that. If you want to get involved in a Royal Family Kids Camp in the area, there's some uh, information on the back table, and there's a sign-up sheet if you want to give us your contact information. 
If you're thinking about being a foster parent or want to do respite care, uh, respite care is going through all the training a foster parent uh, has to go through, but you don't get placed with a child permanently. You're, you're, you're given the privilege or you're given the responsibility of giving foster parents a break. So that information is back there too. And In fact, you just put a little, when you put your name on the list, put foster on there so we can identify the difference. Uh, and there's also a sign-up sheet for our newsletter. You guys are investing in this ministry this year. If you want to follow us on this ministry, I do an electronic newsletter that I just send out uh, mostly every month, and just to help you, can I, it'll help you to keep track of what we're doing with, with your investment. You see, if we focused on the half million foster children in the country, we'd never do anything. It's just too big. And that's why we focus on the one. We can't fathom four or 500,000 foster kids. But we can focus on a Kimmy. We can focus on a Lexi. We can focus on a Becky. And it's each one of these kids move into their true identity. The nature of an all-loving God works through them the messianic lineage as more children come to know Jesus in a very real way. Um, Kimmy, is there anything else you wanted to share before we close? Okay. While I was preparing this, I looked up the name Kimberly because Kimmy was nine years old at camp. She's 20 now, so it was a long time ago. You know what Kimber Kimberly means? Anybody know? Royalty. <laughs> the name Kimberly is from the uh, area of Kimberley in Nottinghamshire, England, and it denotes one who is royally born. Now, whether or not Kimmy's birth number knew the implications of what she was naming her child, I believe God just stamped her with that identity when she was born. And as she moved through life and as one difficult thing happened after another and as she lost faith in her, her belief system in a loving God, God touched her life at camp. And, and, and now he's like putting a new identity on her. He said, Kimmy, you're no longer lonely, outcast, afraid, worthless, youthless. No, you're my child. You are one royally born. And if you'll walk with me, I will take you into, a, into the, who I really created you to be. Your parents may not have known they were giving birth to royalty. One royally born. If you are an adult survivor of childhood abuse... God did not author that abuse. It was like you were kidnapped by an enemy, abused, and Jesus came and paid your ransom. So I would challenge each one of us today to move into our identities in Christ. Move into that love regardless of your failure. The acceptance regardless of, of what has happened to you. And, 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 being, and hearing that affirmation that it's, it's okay it's okay, you're in the hands of a loving God. You are Abba's child, and God is all-loving. And I just want to pray for you. And as Pastor Jim comes, just let me offer a word of prayer for you, okay? Father God, I thank you. I thank you for every person in the sound of my voice that has been born of royalty. And God, as they move into their identity, I pray that you would work your redemption, work that messianic line through them so that other people can come to know you. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. <clears throat> I want to thank John and Kimmy for coming and sharing a great vision 
You know, I'm grateful that uh, Christianity is not just a set of great spiritual beliefs, things, that, it's just words, but action, compassion. And that was demonstrated most of all by Jesus Christ himself, who from his place in heaven saw our condition and he stepped into our world to redeem all of our lives. And now we as his people, his church, we are commissioned and gladly so. What an honor, what a privilege it is for us to be able to reach out into our world where there is so much suffering. And, and a great amount of that suffering is hidden from view, especially out here in the suburbs where things always look a lot nicer and neater. But, there, but if we get underneath all that, there's real suffering and lots of it in people's lives and the kinds of things Kimmy's talking about, that kind of suffering, abuse and hurt and pain and sometimes to the most innocent of us among us all, our children. And so I'm grateful for a church family that has demonstrated so many times in the past a caring heart that wants to take our faith and put it to work and do something that really does redeem a person's life. So we have an opportunity this year through a great ministry uh, to reach out to foster kids and really, one by one, one by one, touch their lives through this great, this great ministry. And who knows, as John was saying, God may plant a seed right here today or over the course of these next few weeks as we focus on this to become a foster parent or to get involved with a camp. And, but the one thing we're looking at is let's see what we can do together to help start hopefully three of these, three of these camps just by our giving and our, our working together at this, year, this year. 